right. Thank y'all for the birthday blessings. Amen. Turning 29 on the 29th. Amen. Glory. Good to see you this morning. Um, honored to have uh, Crawford Becky back home with us today. Man, we miss these these guys that move move off. Don't like it. <laughs> it's always a, a great blessing to, to have them with us. And we're glad you're here. Amen? Um, and uh, we were going last weekend. We had a little premature, uh, not premature, earlier celebration. At least my two sons was able to go. Uh, and we hung out in Savannah last weekend with my sons and their uh, families. And it was just wonderful. Uh, it's been years uh, since... And so we got to do that with my two boys, and it was just a great, great time. So uh, uh, Apostle Callaway did awesome uh, uh, last Sunday, so it was wonderful. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and let you be seated. How about that? Isn't that sweet of me? I want to listen. I hope this comes out good. <laughs> well. Uh, I want to talk to you about something that may be a familiar term to you, maybe the first time you're, you're ever hearing it, and I just simply entitled it the word that I want to talk to you about, and it's a biblical word, and I'll prove that to you in a moment, but deconstruction. And uh, uh, I said deconstruction, deconstruction, now not destruction, right? Uh, and, and what it is simple, in simple terms uh, to me it's just a natural process that we all go through of spiritual growth. And I've spent my life uh, in it, I guess, to some degree, and you have too, whether you acknowledged it as such or not. Uh, but many times deconstruction is just thrust upon you. You don't have any choice in it. Um, and the reason that deconstruction is necessary is because it, we have constructs uh, uh, in, in our lives that need to be torn down. Now, the Bible refers to those as strongholds. Uh, those, are, those are wrong beliefs or, or, or just beliefs that are not helpful to you. Um, and those beliefs, the Bible said, need to be deconstructed, uh, torn down. And, and it actually uses that term. In other words, uh, the reason we need deconstruction because we've constructed ideologies about things, our lives, God, future, past, present, and like, in other words, so I used to have a construct of, a, of God as an angry God, a, uh, uh, a punishing, retributive God. I no longer have that construct, so I'm much freer now and, uh, and able to receive more uh, of his love now than my wrong view of him that I held for years. And that, to me, was a religious uh, construct. Um, it, you know, if you, if you Google this word, and don't do it while I'm preaching now, but if you Google this word, you'll find many meanings of it. You'll find what does deconstruction mean in Christianity. Uh, it's been uh, talked about, preached about. Uh, many books have been written about it in the last uh, five years, you know, especially. 
uh, all the major publications, Charisma, Christianity, Christianity Today, all the major publications have had articles after articles. I have not read them about it. Uh, just, and I was amazed at how much I saw when I, when I just simply typed it in, the word deconstruction on Google yesterday. And, uh, and so I want to read something that I, in that looking that I uh, found. Uh, a guy named Brian Zahan, I don't know him, he wrote this, and it says, North America uh, has experienced two episodes of Christian awakening, known as the Great Awakenings. The first one occurred in the 18th century and the second in the 19th century. And both of these awakenings produced a remarkable increase in church membership. Now, whether the Jesus movement, and that was back in the 60s, 70s, it says whether the Jesus movement and the charismatic renewal of the late 20th century qualify as a third great awakening is for others to decide. But now in the early 21st century, the church in North America especially is experiencing a massive decline. In fact, I would call it a mass exodus that has been aptly dubbed the great deconstruction. Uh, something is definitely happen happening here in the American church. American Christianity as a colonial extension of European Christendom has run its course and is no longer palatable, at least not as the default religion and the organizing center in the increasing secular society that we now live in. The phenomenon of what has been properly labeled deconstruction is not a passing fad, but names a genuine crisis of faith that millions of Christians uh, are facing today. Uh, once a Christianity corrupted by civil religion, consumerism, and clerical abuse is put on trial, the fate of the Christian faith is what hangs in the balance. And for many people, the jury is still out. Um, I thought that was an interesting way he wrote that, and that was his comments on what's going on. And it's not limited to North America. Deconstruction is primarily uh, spiritually is something that's going on massively now in, in the Western church. And now by that I mean as, as opposed to the Eastern you know, Orthodox church. Uh, so in America, not only just the continent of North America, Canada as well is experiencing it, South America is experiencing it, and there is a massive reevaluation of what uh, people have accepted and believed about God and about uh, you know, life with God, I guess you'd say. Now, everybody has gone through deconstruction, whether you've ever acknowledged or used that term. Uh, many people, the Bible's filled with people that went through that, where they had thoughts, ideals about God that were, were, were wrong and were not uh, correct. Uh, a lot of you have heard of, of a, you know, a very famous person, C.S. Lewis, and, and he wrote, I read where he wrote this. He said, my idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered time after time. And in fact, God himself shatters it himself. Uh, they've, all of us have gone through that where we have once believed some things about God and now we no longer believe those things. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just because we've grown. And sometimes when you do that, uh, it causes, uh, it's just not fun, and it causes great difficulty. 
And it causes people to separate from you or you maybe have to be, become a believer. You know what I mean by that? You have to be leaving where you was. That's a believer. Hello. Good morning. And I remember when, uh, and, and I've gone through this in, in all of my life. Uh, now, I've been preaching for a long time. I've been a, a senior pastor um, for over 32 years. Uh, and I've been in leadership uh, as a, uh, it would be like an elder in the church I was in. They called it pastor's council for over 43 years. I've been in some places of leadership and ministry. That doesn't make me all that in a bag of chips. I'm just saying the person that's talking to you has got some miles on them, okay, when it comes to this stuff. And, uh, and as the Apostle Paul said, I do not count myself to have arrived or apprehended, but I do count this, he said, forgetting those things behind, I press forward to the prize of the high calling of God that's in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, he said, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are mighty in God, for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, that, that translated in English, pulling down, is a Greek word that means deconstruction. It is literally one of the words, if you look it up in a Vines uh, Greek dictionary, uh, Strong's dictionary, one of the meanings of that Greek word will be deconstruction. So it is a very biblical word. And he says, for the, for the deconstruction or the pulling down, again, of these wrong thoughts, verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Everything that exalts itself to keep you and me from knowing who God and who Papa really is. And bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, one of the major videos in the Bible of a person going through deconstruction is a guy named Saul that we now know as Apostle Paul. Now this guy here had the credentials and the religious training and the pedigree like nobody else that we at least read about in the New Testament. And uh, in Acts 22, he's given a, a defense for what he this radical change of theology that he now holds. And, and it took an encounter uh, from God. Now, I grew up in church here, and preachers talk about the Damascus Road. Here come God. God slapped him off his horse. And, and they show God as some brutal, violent, uh, retributive God. And the scripture has nothing to say about it. It never says that. Uh, God doesn't behave that way. That's not who he is. If God was going to slap, slap somebody around, he'd have slapped Hitler around. Okay. So God's not doing that, but it says a great light appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, and he fell off his whole, you know, he fell off. He fell to the ground. Don't say, oh, he just fell to the ground. Um, and, uh, and so here in Acts 22, in verse 1, brothers and fathers, he's talking to the Jews now. There's really been a little bit of a riot that has broken out. The Roman soldiers, garrison, has got in there trying to protect Paul. And Paul says, let me talk to my brother. Let me talk to him. And so the, the Roman leader, uh, soldier, allows him to talk to them. And he says, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard him speak to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Now, the reason they got silent, because most of those, except the Pharisees and all that, they didn't even speak Hebrew in Jesus' day. And the common language of Jesus was Aramaic. And, but the Apostle Paul spoke Aramaic 
He spoke, he spoke Hebrew and, and he spoke Greek. Very educated. And he starts giving his defense here. And he says, I am indeed a Jew born of Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in, in this city at the feet uh, of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are all today. Now these people that oppose what God's doing, they're very zealous for God like Paul was. And those people now that are rioting against Paul and want to murder him in, this, in the name of religion, they're zealous for God. And they think they're doing God a service. And people still do that kind of stuff today in the world. And they think they're doing God a service. Uh, you go in and bomb an abortion clinic, you're not doing God a service and kill people. God's not, that's not who God is, right? And, and so in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul again is given his defense and his pedigree. And in, in Philippians 3 and 5, he says he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he said, concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Now, Gamaliel, who he was trained under and who was, uh, Paul was a disciple of him, he was the president of the, of the Sanhedrin. That's the highest Jewish court that exists uh, in, in that day. Uh, he was, he was uh, respected. In fact, Gamaliel shows up in other places in Scripture. One time they brought the apostles. They were wanting to do violence to them. And he said, brethren, y'all give heed and, and take heed in what you do touching these men. He said, now if these men, if their work is from God, you can't, you, you'll be found fighting against God. But if it's of men, it'll come to nothing. So just you need to give yourself a little space here. He was trying to speak wisdom to them, get them to back off and keep wanting to kill everybody that they didn't, that didn't agree with them. And so uh, he said, concerning zeal, verse 6, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteous, which is the law, Paul said, I was blameless. Uh, but what these things were gained to me, I've counted them all lost for Christ. Now, Paul gave up all that religious training that he had. But, but yet, indeed, I also count all these things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith, and which is the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, Paul, many times in the book of Romans and all of his epistles, would call righteousness not something that you and I ever achieve, but it's, uh, the, he called it the gift of righteousness. Well, you've been gifted that. You're not righteous because you behave righteous. You're righteous because Jesus made you righteous. And Jesus gave you his righteousness. The righteousness that you have is not yours. You didn't produce it. Our righteousness, the Bible says, filthy rags, right? But the righteousness that you have is in your, your, you've been made righteous in your spirit. We don't behave righteous all the time. And it's important that you know that. And that's not my message today. But if you don't know you're righteous, that's why the Bible says a righteous man will fall seven times, but he gets back up again. If you don't know and believe that you're really righteous, not by behavior, but by gift, then you won't get back up and you'll lay there and wallow in your, in your own self-pity and all that. And you won't get back up. But righteous, if you're righteous, you might screw up, you will screw up, you will sin, you'll do things. I don't say it's not a big deal, but you get back up and you keep going. Amen. And then Paul goes on in that same chapter of Philippians 3, down in verse 12. I love the way he says, he said, I don't count myself to already attained or, I'm, or that I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. One translation said, I want to be apprehended by the one who apprehended me. See, deconstruction for Paul was not something he signed up for. He was minding his religious business. He was on the way to kill more Christians or authorize it. 
uh, like he did when they stoned Stephen. He was standing there. Paul, out of his own mouth, said, I stand there. I gave authority to it. I held the clothes of them that was murdering him. But he went through a radical. So what I'm saying is this, and I hope you can get this with the heart that I mean for it to go. If a guy like this thought he knew everything that there was to know about God and was educated by the best of the best, spoke three languages, knew the Old Testament, knew the, the, the books of Moses by heart, knew all of this, and yet he, what he knew was wrong. His construct about God was totally wrong. And he had to go through deconstruction. I want to say it was very painful. Now, when that, see, when the Apostle Paul, and we say, well, why does it take so long? Why, and here I am, you know, been to have another birthday, and all my life I'm still learning about God. And, and, and this is the little punchline. God is far, far, far better and greater and more merciful and more gracious than I was ever taught that he was when I first came on board, as they say. And I really didn't come on board, but that's what I thought. <clears throat> it's just a lot better deal than I ever imagined. And I was sold a bill of goods, uh, by, and, and that believing those lies, those wrong constructs, it caused me great harm emotionally, spiritually, in, in a lot of ways. And I don't mean the people that taught me that knew that they were doing that. They were doing the best they had with what they thought they knew. And, and all I'm saying is, if somebody like Paul had to go through deconstruction, how arrogant it is of us, of anybody, to believe that you've arrived, you know all there is to know, all your doctrine and theology is total 100% correct, and now you're just sitting there waiting on the rapture. How foolish and arrogant it is to believe that you have arrived at that pinnacle and, you, and everything you believe about God and yourself and the Bible and the Word and all that's just totally right. And everybody's got to agree with you. Good morning. We're glad you're here. And so I'm just asking for a little bit of humility here that we're all learning, we're all growing. Now, when I, when, you know, when I first got in church, I grew up in what's called the Holiness Baptist. My granddaddy was a Holiness Baptist preacher. And when you combine Baptist with Holiness, buddy, you got you something. Come on now. And they still exist. The denomination still exists. There's not very many people involved with it, I understand. But my granddaddy pastored for 42 years in the Holiness Baptist denomination. Their campground, the South Georgia campground, is in Douglas, Georgia. You're heading out from Douglas, going out, go head out towards Alma. You'll cross the river, and you'll see Holiness Baptist campground and all kind of buildings and stuff. And I remember as a little boy going there. And my granddaddy pastored. He pastored sometimes three churches at the time. Because they didn't have church but one Sunday a month. You know, the way you come now. Bad preacher. <laughs> I, I told my wife, I said, you know, if everybody that says Grace Point is my church and, and, and that's my pastor come at one time, every chair in here would almost be filled. I'm, I'm, I'm so serious about that. And Johanna and people, they know that. And I'm not whooping on you for that. I, you, know, you ain't going to get whooped on here. I was talking with uh, David Rogers a few years ago, pastor of Cross Point, and a great, great man, great guy. And we, had, we was having lunch. And he told me, he said, he said the national average uh, for uh, church attendance in the American church for people to say, that's my church, I am an active member, is 1.4 Sundays a month. It's just, it's a different world. 
Now, a lot of people have just left the church altogether, and I get it. And, and I don't mean this church, I just mean left the church. But we have had people leave this church. Now, I've had people leave this church and, and for all kind of reasons, uh, none of which involve me, because I'm sweet. How could they leave? But seriously, I've had people leave because the, the, we're too diverse. Now, nobody's had the guts to tell me that to my face, but I'm telling you, that has happened numerous times where they told their friends or family, and then, you know, whether so or not, but they said, well, we're just too diverse. That, that's, that's heartbreaking, isn't it? Boy, they're not going to be happy in heaven. I, I read my Bible in Revelation, heaven's pretty diverse. He said, I saw every kindred nation and tongue around the throne of God, praising God with palm branches. I don't know where you're going to go. <laughs> there ain't no white section in heaven. There ain't no black section. Ain't, you, you can't swim no river and say, I'm in Mexico. I mean, you ain't none of that. You're going to have to all get along. Come on, somebody. Y'all want to see you want me to get there. You don't want me to talk about it. But, I mean, I'm just saying... And then you throw that in there, you throw the deconstruction of theology, like what's going on, and people just, a lot of stuff that the church teaches and preaches is wrong. People now are getting smart enough, and they've got something called the internet, and they can do their own research, and they're not limited to just what the preacher says on Sunday, because he's the only one that's got a Bible and a strong concordance, and he's the only one, and so that, that world don't exist no more. So you can't buffalo people now because they can do their own research and do their own Greek study and they can do, and they're just, the whole world is at their fingertips and they go, I don't believe that stuff no more, so therefore I'm not going back. And, 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 and what do I have for people that's been hurt? I, my, I have empathy for them. My heart goes out to them. I've been hurt. You ain't going, you ain't going, I've been hurt. Pastor Keith, you ever been hurt? Okay. I'm talking about in the service of the ministry. You don't think Jesus was hurt doing what he did? What he did? See, when you, when you only mean well and good, and then you, you're turned on for that, there's nothing no more painful, and, and, the, and the tendency is for me to turn away from it then. Well, I tried to do good, and now I've got my hand slapped. I'm, you know, just, you know mm -mm. that's not, I mean, I, 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 you know, that's not my heart. And, uh, but, you know, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1.15, he said, and I quote this one a lot, but he said, Galatians 1.15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, see, that was the call, to reveal his son not to me, not to me, but in me. It, Paul got revealed, that's why it's the proper term is what they used, a great awakening. Some people refer to it as a great revival. Anyway, it's the, the, the proper term, you, what, what are they awakening to? They are awakening to truth that they previously didn't know about God, but now they believe. Martin Luther, in the first great awakening, when he, when he, when he was at, when that, that monk, or so to speak, that, that, that nailed those tenets of faith on that wooden door, they say, and, and, and did his thesis, those 97 things that he now believed, and, and under the church of what they were doing that day, and he stood against that, and he nailed what he believed about and was revealed to by the Spirit about Father God, and he said that we are saved by grace and by grace alone, period. And that was the big uh, caveat out of what he did. And he caught hell for it and was threatened with death for it. And now me and you can say it easily now. We're saved by grace, and nobody's trying to kill you. But that's because deconstruction happened and he bore the brunt of it. 
He bore the brunt of it. And, and, and so in my life, I remember, you know, we, we all go through, the, through these things. And I don't mean, see, it's the reason most of mine is being theological and still continues to be because this is what I'm called by God to do. But you go through it in relationships. People go through it with addictions and, and all kind of stuff. And you go through it in all, in all kind of ways. And, but the Apostle Paul, he goes on to say that in verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. But then he said, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and then I returned uh, later to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and I hung out with him for 15 days. Um, I saw no other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. He's trying to say, I'm not telling you a lie, but you're going to think I'm telling you a lie because it's going to be so good. <laughs> and Paul comes out as the grace preacher, the, the original, other than Jesus. And so we say, God, why, you know, so Paul actually goes three years and then he has a total of 14 years before he really gets intrinsically, we see him showing up in the New Testament epistles like we're used to him. But at least at the minimum, he went off into the desert for three years. You know what was going on in three years? They don't say. But you know what I surmise that was going on in the Apostle Paul in those three years? He's having to deconstruct what he thought he knew about God and religion. It took three years to even get his head straight where he could preach this thing. Now, I don't mean he wasn't preaching because the Bible clearly says he was preaching anybody that would listen to him. He immediately, it said, started preaching Jesus. And they were terrified of him because <laughs> this guy is the one that was killing people because of Jesus. Now he's preaching Jesus. They thought it was some diabolical scheme. And, and so, but isn't it amazing that we've always said, you know, when that great light came and God didn't, you know, whatever, it, God's not beating on him. None of, but the great light came. He fell to the ground. In a vision, he sees the Lord, apparently. He's, and, and, and the Lord says to Paul, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? <laughs> so cool and then he said lord what would you have me to do and then jesus said i want you to go to a man to a street called straight to a man named ananias ananias is a word that means grace it means uh, uh, the lord has favored favor grace isn't it amazing that when he went to ananias after three days of being blind ananias laid his hands on his eyes he said scales something like scales fell from his eyes it's not literal he's not having cataract surgery here this is spiritual uh, typology. And by those religious scales that blinded him and blurred his view of, of Papa fell off his eyes. And it wasn't interesting that grace opened his eyes to a much better God than he previously knew. And yet God was in him the whole time because Paul said he revealed Christ in me and I didn't even know it. And it's just an amazing journey that this apostle went on. And he spent three years trying to deprogram, deconstruct, whatever your word is, renovate, whatever your word is. But I want to say this to you. Why, why does, you know, and I've asked God, why does it take so long? Why did it take me all these years to even get where I'm at now preaching? I mean, why didn't you tell me this when I was 26? I mean, what's, why didn't you tell me this when I started Cornerstone Church in, Sparks in March 10th of 91? Why, why didn't you tell me all this back then? And you know what I heard God say? Son, I've been going as fast as you can go. That's what Papa said. God, why does it take so long? Why can't you hurry up? Why can't you just do it? Because I'm not a magician and this ain't magic, son. 
I'm going as fast as you can go. I've had to deconstruct so much man's teachings, philosophy, and religion out of you. And that's why God, another example, he told me, he said, when you go into the promised land, there are going to be a lot of animals, I mean, a lot of enemies there, but we're not going to drive them out all the first day. Because if we did, the beast would take over. But we're going to do it a day at a time. And I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to be your rear guard. And we're going to get rid of all that that don't belong of me. And that's the way it is in us. God is going in your life. If you're struggling with addiction, God's going as fast as you can go, man. I remember when, I, and, and, and so it is in the spiritual, sometimes the way it is in health. I remember, when, you know, six years ago when I had open heart surgery. And I want to tell you, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And, 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 and so I remember uh, asking the, the, the physician, the cardiologist. I said, how long will it, they're going to open me up? Now the people, you know, there's, and I didn't realize it makes you part of a club. I would have nurses and people walk into to my room in Emory University, Atlanta, and they would pull down their shirt. they say, you're part of the club now. You're in the zipper club. And I'm laying there, you know, tubes everywhere. I didn't want to be in the zipper club. But I'm in the zipper club now. But I remember I, I, I asked the, the cardiologist, I said, how, you know, they're going to go in, open me up. They're going to replace my aortic valve. Everybody said, well, that, you know, I knew somebody had a valve replacement. They was back, you know, driving a tractor the next day. Not no aortic valve, they wasn't. <laughs> Mitral, maybe. <laughs> but not aortic, baby. Now they're getting where they maybe going to try them through the, through the groin and all. Um, and, you know, and I got a pig valve. Whoever knew a hog would save my life? And you say pork is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Save my life. Oink, oink. Hallelujah. I did ask the surgeon at Emory. I mean, what are you going to ask them guys? I went in there, and my cardiologist finally in Tifton got mad. He said, if you don't go get that aortic valve replaced, you're not going to see 60 years old, nor will you live to see your grandchildren. Do you understand me, Mr. Young? Then in that moment, I felt fear comes upon me. <laughs> I said, okay, Dr. Hancock, I'll go. I'm like, back off. I thought you was, I heard you was laid back, doctor. You're getting all up in my grill. He said, I'm serious, man. He said, you got to go. He said, you keep putting it off, putting it off. Now, we're going to be talking heart transplant, not valve replacement. Now, get your butt to Atlanta. Yes, sir. Me and my wife went on Friday, never even seen the guy. Went in on Friday, they run tests. He come back in. First thing he said, he said, you're one of the worst I ever saw. I'm thinking, we're Emory University, and this is a teaching hospital, and I'm one of the worst he ever saw. I must be bad. And this is what he said, you're one of the worst I ever saw. He said, I'm going to make room for you. He said, you got to get back here uh, Tuesday. Uh, we're going to do uh, open heart on you Wednesday morning, and I'm going to do a cath on you Tuesday. So if you've got blockages, I'm going to deal with that too while we're in there. He said, you got to get, get some help. Well, I didn't have a whole long time to be scared just over the weekend, you know. And I never let y'all know, all my elders knew, I didn't, I didn't want the church to think, well, he's out preaching, he could drop dead. <laughs> I didn't let you know that I, what I was going through. That don't make me a hero or nothing, it's just, I just didn't want to do it. But I remember I asked the surgeon, I said, well, how long before I, you know, after the surgery, till like everything turned back to normal? 
He shocked me when he said this statement. This was the point I was trying to make. He said, one year, at least a year. I'm saying, a year? He said, I don't mean before you can function or nothing like that, but he said, before you, you said back, you know, to, it's going to be at least a year. And you know, I found that to be very true. I don't know what Ivory's experienced other men and women in here that's gone through it. Uh, Pastor Hunter's gone through it. But I remember six months, eight months later, I was still having certain issues from the surgery. And I mean more than just a scar. But it takes time because what God is doing in your life, and I'm not speaking physically, although that's, God does that, but I'm applying this to spiritual. Why, God, why can't you just do it? If, you know, why can't you do it? Quick, because you're too complicated. I'm going as fast as you can. And God is healing you. He's not just blasting you with something. Healing takes time. The Bible promises thou shalt recover. The Bible doesn't promise that everybody gets prayed for. It's going to be an instant, total miracle. And, and, and man, we know how much we believe in healing in this house. We believe in laying hands on the sick and they shall recover in, in Jesus' name. And, um, but, but when the Apostle Paul had that great illumination, okay, now, boom, here you go. you got revelation. Light has come. You, you see things differently now. That's wonderful, but that's just the beginning. So that light, Damascus Road, was not a cure-all for Paul. It was just starting a long journey that would continue until he left the earth. Now, here's another guy that went through deconstruction named Peter. He is a Jewish disciple, apostle of Jesus, and he don't believe that anybody can come into the church, and his understanding about God is God only saves Jewish people. And if you're not Jewish, you ain't getting in, because we're in, and y'all are out, and we're holy, and you're not, and, and you know, all that. And so then God has to give him a vision while he's waiting on supper to get ready. You know, and you know that the, the sheet comes down, and, and the message was, stop calling people unclean that I have cleansed. Now, God played the video for this apostle three times. Why did he not just play it one time? Because you see something, you hear something preached, you read something, you hear it one time, you don't get it one time. You need to hear it again, you need to hear it again, you need to hear it again. So Peter gets a, this is God causing deconstruction. This ain't Peter praying for it. Peter thought, I got this figured out. I'm, 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 I'm a called, I'm handpicked by Jesus. I know what I'm talking about. Jesus pick any of y'all? Any of y'all walked on water? Mm-hmm, I don't think so. Speak to the hand, you know, all that. Uh, he, he, he still needs some help. So now he gets the vision. He goes to Cornelius' house, Acts chapter 10. Radical, uh, you know, Holy Spirit falls upon him. And then Peter says, I'm absolutely convinced that God does, has no respect to a person. And y'all are all saved. Y'all got the same Holy Spirit and everything, just like we did in, in the upper room in Acts 2. Now, you would think that would be enough for Peter. But what happened to Peter? He's, he's on that journey. So he gets back to Jerusalem. He has to answer to the big, the big uh, folks in Jerusalem, the council. He explains it to him, and he, and he basically says this, who am I that I can prevent water? Could I stand there and stop a raging river? With my, mm -mm. He said, this is God. So it looked like Peter's got it figured out. His theology now has been adjusted. He's preaching now to Jews and Gentiles, and he's got a proper view of God, at least regarding the Gentiles. But that's not how he lives. He gets back to Jerusalem, wants to hobnob with the religious people, and so he starts separating himself from the Gentile brethren, the Bible says. That hurts their feelings, and it confuses them, and they don't understand. And Peter acted up so much that even Barnabas got caught up in that 
theological, I don't understand, I don't know what I believe. And, and Peter said Gentiles come in, but now he won't fellowship with them. And now he's going back to acting like he's just Jewish. And then so a young apostle named Paul withstood him, the Bible says, to his face. For Peter was to be blamed. Now can you imagine an, uh, an apostle Paul who's never literally physically seen Jesus except in a vision getting in the face of a hand-picked of the twelve who walked on water with Jesus, <laughs> who'd been there when he was... Re- you know, can you imagine? But you don't hear Peter open his mouth in retaliatory when he was rebuked in public to his face by this young, younger apostle. Because he said, you're to be blamed. And he said, and, and so he addressed Peter with his theological construct. So all I'm saying is some of us still struggle with stuff. Now I, I want to say, oh Lord, time's getting away. But I've gone through, so let me tell you, deconstruction is not a destination. It's just like a birth canal into to a, a new life, a new revelation. Uh, it, it takes time because it's not magic. Uh, uh, you know, I've counseled so many people in, in crisis, and these are some things that I've learned now. Because, see, when I first started pastoring, my construct of what it means to be a pastor and what a pastor is supposed to do and how a pastor is supposed to behave, and it, man, that has gone through some radical deconstruction. I, I've counseled so many. Pastor Keith, probably more than anyone in this room, would know this better, and that's just because we've been around, and he's been in ministry with me longer, and he's deserved a lot. And there was a time that, that I, you know, I, I have an apostolic ministry, that's what they say. Uh, but there was a time I had 12 churches that looked to me for support for, as an apostle. This was one of them. And I was not the pastor here, but I was called on to be, give apostolic covering over this house. And, uh, and, and that is literally why I stand before you as your pastor today, because of that connection. I had churches. I had churches in many cities. I had one in Daytona Beach, Florida. That pastor still connects with me to some degree. He still considers himself a Pastor Powell under me, and we 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 communicate. Uh, I've been down there many times, several times over the years to preach for him, uh, and had churches in uh, Valdosta. Still do, um, and. Uh, but uh, had several, had three at one time here, had two for many years. And uh, when Southland at that time came, that would gave me three here. And uh, had churches in Savannah and with Gotten, it's outside of Savannah, that I sent one of my pastors and did a great job. And that pastor now is my son-in-law. A long story there. Um, he was not my son-in-law when I set him in as a pastor there. Had uh, two churches in Baxley. Had two churches in Douglas. Uh, had uh, uh, one church in Jessup. Um, I can't even remember where I had one church in Alma. And uh, just had a lot of churches that, I, that looked to me. And I, and I didn't never try to make any of that happen. I just would have pastors, they would come to me and say, you're going to show me you're my pastor, would you give oversight to us? And I thought I was helping. Then I started watching those pastors, many of them, have trouble. I watched them leave their spouses. 
uh, I, I watched terrible things happen to him, and it was very emotionally devastating for me to watch it and see it. And I would try to fix them. But, you know, I thought, well, if you just do this and do that. I remember I had one pastor that was going through tremendous, and I'm going to keep genders out of it, but tremendous health uh, problems, surgeries and all kinds of stuff. And uh, so the pastor came and met, uh, the pastor, uh, pastor and spouse came and met in, in my office when I was at Cornerstone and said, uh, you know, we want to, uh, you know, resign the church. And... Uh, I had no hint, I'm just telling you the truth, I had no hint of any marital difficulties in that marriage. Not, not a hint. And so we're talking about the pastor due to health reasons resigning the church. I'm going to put a replacement in and we're going to deal with it and the church is going to be heartbroken. It's going to be not fun at all for nobody. And while I was sitting there behind my desk talking to them, the Holy Spirit said to me through a word of knowledge, uh, uh, the pastor is not here to. The pastor is not only here to resign the church, but the pastor is also resigning their marriage. I heard it just as clear as if God said it in my ear audibly. I stopped the meeting. I said, "Let me tell you what I just heard the Lord say to me. I heard the Lord say that you're not here just to resign the church due to medical reasons, but you're also here because you've already resigned your marriage in your heart." The pastor replied to that. The pastor, those two people looked at each other as if the cat is out of the bag. And they looked at each other, and then they looked back at me, and the pastor said, I am not here to talk to you about my marriage. I'm only here to talk to you about the church. And I pleaded and said, if you would just trust me as your leader, I will help you get through this crisis. If you'll just do what I say, and we will get through this, and everything will be okay. That would not be the case. And I went to the church, and I preached at the church, and the pastor got up after me, resigned the church due to health reasons on Sunday, and on Monday filed for divorce from their spouse. And I watched devastating things happen to people that was in crisis. And it, it, broke, and it took an emotional toll on me, as an apostolic leader, because I thought, I got to thinking, well, I must be bad. Because I don't mean I had one or two. I had like three or four. And marriages crashed and stuff. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm just not a good apostle here. So I'm, what's, what's wrong with these people? But they, I mean, and not that I feel better or superior to any of them. And I am capable of all the, the, the flesh that any other human is. But they wasn't getting that out of my life. And I would have to sit with them and their spouse, the ones that did, and there were some, thank God, that did stay together after infidelity and stuff like that. And I watched churches be devastated. I watched hundreds of people walk out. I watched over 100 people walk out of one church. And not when the pastor fell due to infidelity, but six months later when I restored him back into the pulpit, then over the next month, over 100 of those people sat there and said, you know what, I, I just can't do this. I just can't do this. And so they left the church. And, and I've dealt with broken and hurting people, and it doesn't matter whether it's leadership or ministry, but it seems to me it's more, it's, it's, it hurts worse if it's, if it's people in ministry. So, and, and what I realized is I was taking responsibility for their joy and for their sorrow. And, and you know what? I, can, and I, I can't prevent people from suffering. I wish I could, but I can't. 
And if I could prevent anybody from suffering, I take the people I've tried the hardest to prevent them from suffering, my own kids, grown or grandkids. I, mean, I, I, do, I do my dead level best, as they say, to try to stop that. But I can't stop it. And if I see, and just say this, like if somebody's got an addiction and they're acting out, and then I go, well, I can't let this happen. I got to stop this. Then, then I, I have to let them. I have to let them run that path if that's what they're choosing. I can't stop people. I can't. I can't stop you from doing drugs. I can't stop you from doing stuff. I wish I could, but I can't stop it. Even how bad it hurts, I can't. I can't stop it. And, and listen. I, and I found I cannot manipulate people into obedience. You can't manipulate somebody to make them obedient. You you, you just can't do it. And and, and I've. I've, I've I realized that I was taking responsibility trying to fix people, but I'm not the fixer. And I can't fix people, and you're not the fixer, but Jesus is the fixer. And so now, at my older age, I am suspicious of all these platitudes, these trendy sayings, this throwing a verse, Bible verse at somebody like they think that's going to solve the problem. Let me tell you something, it never will. That ain't going to solve no problem. It's going to take some time. Because what you got to understand, there, listen to me, there is no such thing as spiritual drive-through where you expect someone to go from darkness and pain into light and freedom overnight. It just ain't going to happen. It just ain't going to happen. And you're not to be discouraged by that. Now, they can have a great encounter. And so I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about theological deconstruction, but they can have a great encounter like, with God like Paul did on Master Road, but that don't mean they're going to be fine the next day. Because they've had a lot of habits and a lot of addictions, and some of that stuff got baked in pretty good. And it's going to take a while. And so don't be shocked all of a sudden if they're doing good, and you think the only reason they're doing good is because they're not using the, 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 the whatever they're medicating with, whatever that is. And so they're not doing that, so they're a good person. They're not doing it. And then all of a sudden, kaboom, they're right back at it again. And then you go like, oh, man, I can't believe they did that. Why can't you believe it? It's part of the process. It, it, it's not all step forwards, people. Sometimes it's fall down backwards and lay there a while, and then, but our heart is always for hope and belief they're going to get back up and keep going for God. And, and it doesn't matter because God loves them. He loves the prodigal when he's at home or he's in the pig pen. It's all the same with God. He loves the religious brother that's turned away from God in, in, in darkness because he chooses not to go in. So God comes out. God's not, God doesn't lead you down these wrong paths, but he's with you on that path, I promise you. And he doesn't forsake nor abandon his children. God don't do abandonment. And, and, and so, you know, I, I'm not the rescuer. And years ago I came to turn, I'm not the rescuer. I can be a helper to you. I can hopefully walk with you as you go through the journey, but, but I'm not your rescuer. Uh, Jesus is your rescuer. And in Colossians 1 and 13, some translations even render that verse rescuer, that Jesus, he has rescued us from the power of darkness. And I love it how it says, conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Whew, I love that. Um, Some of you are going through deconstruction to some degree right now. You may have not ever thought of it in that terminology, but, but you're, you're going through it. You're, go, you're going through it. And, and there's radical things going on, and you're, you're, you, know, you don't think the same way. And It could be involved relating to people. It can, it can be a lot of things. I was raised so holiness that I thought 
that you couldn't wear shorts because you'd go to hell. You couldn't, if you smoked a cigarette, you went straight to hell. Um, and I would ride by church and see people out smoking. I'm like, oh, all them people going to hell because that's what my church says. So we're right, they're wrong. So all them people standing at the front steps of the church, oh, y'all going to hell. You don't even know it. Uh, and uh, I didn't feel sorry enough for them to stop and try to compel them not to go, though, by the way. <laughs> Just judged them and drove on, you know. And then, but, but, and I, and, and so I went through a radical change of belief. And then I was in, in a denominational, Pentecostal denomination, which I loved and I still honor and respect today. And I was in the nomination, and in March of 1990, a few years before that, and give me just, just a few years before that, I had been preaching, I had been called, and the denomination would only let you be an evangelist if you were just starting out. So that's what I did. Me and my wife submitted all the training, all the formal training. We went to an eight-month preacher boot camp, I called it, program that she had to attend because I was married. We went through the whole Bible and read 27 books in eight months. Now, that ain't no joke. Try, just try reading the Bible totally from cover to cover in eight months. And we had to sign a notebook every time we would go in once a month to be checked by our instructors. And you have to sign that you read, you know, the Bible. So it's, you're not going to be a good preacher if you're lying on your notebook. So we started with 40-something preachers in the class, and we ended up with about half because they couldn't make the boot camp. And then we went to Cleveland, Tennessee, and graduated at the headquarters, and it was sweet and nice and wonderful. And I submitted to all of that. And then they started, I never asked for a church. I never sat with any official said, I want to be a pastor. I want to do this. I want to do that. Never. But different leaders tried to send me to different cities. And I would pray, and God would say, nay or nothing. I don't know about you, but God don't always answer everything I say to him immediately. He, sometimes he's silent. I don't know. Maybe just... He just, you know, so, and I remember the last call I got was a, a, a overseer called me on Friday, and I'm working at the Amnesty Service in Tifton, I'm the chief of the EMS, I, you know, I got a wife, I got, uh, I got three little kids at home, and he called me on Friday and said, I want you to be in Uvalda, Georgia, Sunday morning as the pastor of that church, I'm sending you up there. And I said, Brother Overseer, I appreciate that, appreciate your confidence. Can I just go up there this Sunday? Be glad to. Can I just go preach for them and give me time to pray and see if that's what the Lord wants, you know, for me to my family to do? And he said, No, you can't do that. And he come on me with all the claws that, a, that an overseer has. I told my wife, you weren't emotionally prepared to pastor. You're never going to quit that job. You care more about what the church can do for you than what you can do for the church. All these things I'm not making up, by the way. They're burned in my, in my hurt heart. And, and, and he said in judgment on me and my motives and everything, and it hurt really bad. He said, you're never going to quit that job. Where he at? <laughs> I did quit it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He said, you're never going to quit that job. And, uh, you know, so... And so I cried, and then I got mad and went through all the processes, all that. And I remember I went to my place of prayer in March of 90, right after that happened. And this is what, I, I'm a picture person. And I pictured a chalkboard with everybody and their mama with a piece of chalk writing on what Dale's future in ministry is supposed to be about. And like that overseer wrote, he's supposed to be senior pastor in Uvalda. And then another pastor wrote, you're supposed to be the pastor, and I'm not making this a, at this charismatic church in Lenox, by the way. You're going to be the senior pastor there because I'm going to, when I retire, you're going to be the pastor. So he wrote that. And I had all these people wrote there. Some wrote, I'm going to you know, go to the nations and be an evangelist, missionary, and all over the world. Everybody wrote what they thought that I was supposed to do. And now i got people getting mad at me and yelling at me. And I'm just trying to do good. 
And I loved God with all my heart. Just, I, I did. And I laid on that little prayer room on Coxdale Road that I had built when I built the house. It was supposed to be a laundry room, but I cut out half of it. And I said, Jill, there's your washer dryer. This is my half. This is my, my half here. And I put some carpet, and I built me an altar. And that's where I hung out with the Lord. And my kids know, where your daddy at? Mom says, he's in the prayer room. Always have a place of prayer. You don't have to be an official room. When we lived in apartments, it was an ironing board put down to its lowest level, and that was my altar in a closet. It was a walk-in closet, by the way, but that was my prayer room. I believe in praying. I said, Papa, everybody's mad at me. I don't know what in the world to do. I can't figure none of this out. All I know is I'm called to preach. That's all I really know. And I'm so confused at that chalkboard. It looks like trigonometry or something to me, and I can't figure it out. Could I just give you the chalk, and I'm going to erase all this. Would you please write up there what you want me to do? And when I did that, March of 90, I saw and heard the Lord. It's like he didn't been waiting on me to ask him. And, 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 he, and he wrote, I didn't see it physically wrote now. He said, start a church outside of the denomination right here in your hometown, your county. It blew my mind. I had never dreamed of such lunacy. Me and my wife were sitting on the front porch. It doesn't make her bad. It just makes her human. I was rocking. She was in a rocking chair. We were sitting there. I said, Jill, what if I told you this? What if I told you I heard the Lord speak to me and tell me that I was going to start a church right here in Cook County, but it won't be in the denomination I told you the name of the denomination? My little sweet, precious supporter all my life. She just snatched that head and looked at me. She said, I don't know if that's the Lord. She said, I said, why can't it be? She said, it would hurt too many people. And that's all she ever said. And from that moment forward, she's always been 150% support of anything I've ever said God told us to do. And it did hurt some people, and it angered a lot of people. And I started Cornerstone Church in Sparks, March the 10th. A year later, it wasn't an overnight knee-jerk for a year. And God sent confirmation after confirmation. And March the 10th of 91 was my first Sunday in a little building in Sparks called Cornerstone. And I was there for about a year, and now the denomination that I used to be in, they don't like me no more, and they won't speak to me, and I can pass them in the aisle at the grocery store, and they will not even acknowledge my presence. They look at me like I'm a foreign enemy, and that hurt a lot. And it really hurts when you treat my wife like that, because blame me, I'm the one that did it. And I didn't understand that. I thought we was all wearing Jesus jerseys. I didn't realize it was all separated. And so I got hurt by that, and I'm really hurting, and I've gone a year of hurt now. So now I get invited by David Oaks to Moultrie, Georgia, to a Dayspring church on the Spencefield Highway to go over there. And I was so thrilled because one pastor in the universe recognized me as a real, for real pastor. And he said, I want you to come over here, and I want you to bring your, your drama team. I understand y'all got a youth drama team, and I want you to come over, and I got a guy from Augusta preaching a revival, and I want you to come over here. And would you bring your drama team? And I said, I'd be honored. 
And we went over there, and I had about 40 in my church because people loved church back then, and they would just look for opportunity to go to church. And we all piled in there, this little church on Spencefield and Moultrie, and we piled in there, and, and, and so my drama kids, they did a couple of dramas, and that was nice. And I ain't, got, I, I ain't on the program. I'm just laid back, sitting in jeans, just watching my youth work, and I'm surrounded by my little church family that loved me, about 40 people. And, and we've, we've been going one year. And here comes a guy introduced, and he's got on white and black fancy shoes in a fancy suit, and uh, his name was uh, Bishop Dutton. He's with the Lord now in presence. I never heard of him. And we was all in jeans. He the only one in there in the suit. But man, he was dressed to the T. The brother got up, soon he stepped to the pulpit. And we have it on recording, and I've played it for this church numerous times, and I could have played it now, but time's getting away from me. I know I can't play it now because y'all ain't got it probably by here, but but the, the prophecy that I'm fixing to say to you is all on tape, word for word. I never even heard this guy. This guy points at me, tells me to stand up, and he starts prophesying. And he, and he you, we call it like in those days, we used to call it reading your mail. He read my mail and where the mail come from. And he said, I see you in an association with the denomination in the past. And even though God used that association, that nom- denomination to bring you out of the world system, but it can no longer serve thee, for it will not be able to bring you into that that I have declared unto thee. He said, for, for I am calling you out that I might send you in to this thing that I have declared to you. And he said, I, you shall find yourself surrounded by brethren that, sh- that shall be brethren indeed, and you along with them shall come into this place with God. And he said, for you are not voted on any longer, O man of God. And, and he, boy, I mean, he just went right on, and he just was so detailed. My heart exploded with faith because I thought, because people, and he said, you shall not allow men to say you have missed your God for you are on time and you shall not be a day late. Neither shall you be a dollar short, saith the spirit of God. For one of the ways that I shall direct that thy steps have been ordered of me is, yea, I shall bring in resources, yea, heaps of money, saith God. For I, where I guide, I provide. And man, he just was just. Because people had told me, I had family tell me, you miss God. You should have stayed in the denomination. But denomination couldn't go where I'm going. Because I was saying kingdom, and that don't make me better than them, but I was going through deconstruction, and I didn't sign up for it. I just was just, because I, I became a believer. And I be following Jesus, so I had to leave that to follow Jesus. And so, and every, all the, everybody, all the believers ain't happy with you believing. <laughs> anyway, I got quit. And I went through it, and it was painful. And it hurt. It separated my family on Thanksgiving at Meemaw's house. I had people in my own family that didn't like me no more because they like, you you're a theological heretic. No. I, I, I'm not that. But didn't, I mean, she knows it cost me dearly. It cost me to be a believer and follow the Lord. It was deconstruction. Whatever you're going through, my purpose in this is listen to me. It's not like theological. A lot of you, a lot of you ain't got time to do nothing but try to survive and pay the bills and go to work. And you're probably not reading a whole lot. So some of this don't matter. Well, deconstruction, what do you don't matter? <laughs> you go through it sometime in your life anyway, no matter what you do. My, my, my heart for you, listen, please. I'm, I'm done with this. Stand up. You, that way you'll know I'm done. <laughs> At least you'll believe I'm done. 
Y'all finna be believers too, ain't you? Y'all finna believe in this building. <laughs> we got a new word today. We, um, what was I saying? <laughs> huh? Okay. When you go through this in your life to whatever degree, and you, some of you are going through it right now, and I sense that, please be patient and kind to yourself. It's a process. God's not a magician. This is not abracadabra. And by what Christians don't say abracadabra, but they go, in the name of Jesus. And they use it the same way that a magician uses abracadabra. There's no cantations here and incantations. There's no, no quick fixes and some of you are struggling with some real big issues in your life. And some of you are watching, like I've watched, you've watched your own family go through addictions and struggles and stuff, and it hurts, man, and you try to be the best parent, and you want to stop that suffering, but you can't. And you have to allow it because the Lord allows it. He allowed the prodigal to go to the pig pen. He didn't send him there, and he didn't cause it, and he didn't build the pig pen. But sometimes by our choices, we build the nastiest pig pens in our own life. But even in that, God is there, and God is still talking. Do you, you think that guy in the pig pen just came to himself automatically by himself? God's with him every step of the way. And I've always said, people, well, what if he died on the way? I, he, he's a son when he left, and he, he's a son when he's in the pig pen, and he's a son on the way home. The church don't see him a son unless he's standing in church holding the Bible, singing just as I am without one plea. But that's what religion does. But he's a son all the way. And God's with him all the way. And God didn't put you on that path, but I tell you, he's on any path that you're on. And you be patient with yourself. You be filled with hope today that this deconstruction is not a destiny. It's, it's a process. And it's going to be better on the other side. Paul was a better person when he came out the other side. After those 14 years, uh, Peter was a better person when he went through deconstruction and his Jewish beliefs had to get torn down and God was the one doing the tearing. And sometimes God says, thrust me in. But one of the things that I always remember about that night Moultrie, God said, I have, I, I have used men to bring you out that I might bring you in. God said, I used men. And so those men that were yelling at me and stuff in, in some way, God wasn't the author of that, but he said, I used men to bring you out that, they, that you might be brought into that thing I've declared. And so God had called me into this. And, and, and now what I was called into and understanding theologically then would not cause any ripple in most any church now. But at that time in 91, you can believe it was causing a ripple in my community. I got accused of being hooked with David Koresh. Anything that could be said hurtful about me or my ministry, that people would say it. People would say, I mean, it was just all of, I don't mean, Pastor Keith, would I mean, back in that day, I mean, it made it to the police department that I would lock people into the building. That when people joined our church, they had to turn their W-2s in to me so that I could calculate and make sure they were paying their full time. Keith, am I making this stuff up? Y'all know? And you, it hurt my heart so bad to be accused like I'm some lunatic. And all I'm trying to do is obey Jesus and preach the gospel and love people. And people stayed away by the droves, you know, that heard those rumors. I went to the police department one time because the lady started working there that was a dispatcher. And she said, we were told that you got a basement up here where you keep animals for a sacrifice. Oh, man. And, and I said to her, I said, do you mean that rational people... Even though they are from Cook County, 
would believe that kind of foolishness that we up here do an animal sacrifice. All we do on Sunday is handle rattlesnakes. <laughs> you want to see the boxes in the back? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it is way past time for me to be done through. I have gone through the pain of this, and I cannot tell you honestly, sincerely, how many times I wanted to quit. And just said, man, I don't need this. I just want to be a regular person, man. I just want to go to work, fly with my wife and family, come home, be nice, treat my neighbors good. Well, I love people. I ain't know, know all that in the back, but I really do love fire the people. Williams Car Wash folk, they came to my house yesterday with a little van, washed my truck. I'm getting old and I can't do good in the heat no more. <laughs> and uh, I was watching that guy wash my truck, man, it's hot. That heat. So I went in the house, got a solo cup, filled it with ice, and I brought a Gatorade bottle. And that ain't the first time I've done that to him. But I walked there and, and, but I never carried a Gatorade because we didn't have none. But we had to have some. I always carried water. But, and I wanted it to be real cold because it's really hot out there. And I said, do you like uh, Gatorade? He said, oh, yeah. Biggest smile, just from handing him a glass of cup of ice and a Gatorade bottle. And that smile was worth everything to me. And I went back in the house. And when he got through, he came in there. And, uh, you know, we gave him the thing. And I told him, I said, I sure appreciate y'all, what y'all do for us. Just be nice to people. A guy ain't never come to church for us. He knows I ain't even a preacher or pastor. I ain't never said nothing about booze or none of that. But I just love people, and I want to help. I want to make a difference in just whatever kind of way I can. And uh, maybe he can see some Jesus in that. I don't know. I did read where you, if you give somebody a cold drink of water in the Bible, you don't lose your reward if you need a verse for it. <laughs> I really do love you guys. Thank you for coming. We're going to have one Sunday out for a long where we're going to announce for like a two months ahead so we can catch everybody. We're going to have everybody come on one Sunday and just see what that looks like. <laughs> and we'll take a bunch of photos. No, I'm putting it on Facebook. <laughs> I don't, I'm just teasing, but it sounds cool in my head right now. But, uh, and I know people got stuff, you know, and the world travels now. And, uh, but it's not about church attendance. That's not what it's all about. I want to be a Jesus follower, big time. And um, I just want you to have a heart of hope. You're going to make it, okay? It's going to be all right, I promise. And we're all learning. And sometimes I learn, and I get so excited about what I learn that I come in here on Sunday, I pull that pin, and I toss that grenade. And I've been thinking about it for six months, and you just heard it at first that Sunday. And I forget that I have a gifted ability to bomb you. You know, what did he, what did he say? <laughs> and I would be better off to just throw you a few little bits. You know, oh, there you go. And come back next Sunday, and there's a little bit. But I just get excited. And I want you to, I want you to have a Damascus road, and I want you to be laying down in the, <laughs> you, know, you can't see no religion. All you can see is grace. When you come out of it. Everybody happy? Okay. Can I, I love you too, Jimmy. Man, y'all are wonderful. Uh, little old, can I tell them about your dog? Is that going to be bad?
Jennifer texts me. She's so sweet. That's one of the sweetest people on the planet. I mean that sincerely. She knows that. She texts me the other day. She said, Pastor, I'm having a kind of... And she's gone through stuff. She's gone through that horrible fall, broke her back, broke her foot. Just been going through it. And then she said, Pastor, I'm having a tough uh, time. She said it's a tough week. She's kind of weak like Gator got your dog weak. And she said, I don't mean that. I mean that literally. And an alligator in the pond eat her little dog and, uh, and stuff. And, and her heart was broken, as anybody's would be. And I told you, I said, I want you to be sure. Call her now. And, uh, and a lot of times I just don't call women of any, you know, not, I can call her if I want to, but I just, my women pastors to women and my wife pastors. I mean, you know what I mean, my wife pastors to the women to, and that kind of deal. And, man, I, my heart broke for her. I know how much I love animals back when we had them, you know. Boy, just something like that happened, you know. And it's just like, and then she was, you kind of feeling like, well, what else? <laughs> how much more can I go through, you know. And you go through tough stuff. God's not the author of none of that. But he's bringing her through that. And to see her come back in here this morning and worshiping over there and, and praising God anyway, you know, just means everything. And I know all of you got stories, and you're going through stuff, and you're facing difficulty because life uh, throws it at you. But God's with you. And that's what I want you to always leave here encouraged, build up. You're going to make it because Jesus is with us, right? And we're going to make it even better because we got each other. You know, we're, we're still praying for Mary Lee. Went and visited with her, Mary Lee Barnes. Y'all know her. That's uh, been in the hospital. And. Uh, Mike Hardy, Johnny, can you come up here real quick? I know I'm way over time, and I done bloated. Johnny, Kim, Johnny's having some stents put in in the morning. He's a precious member of this house, and uh, I want the elders. We're going to lay hands and just believe for a real good procedure for him, and uh, he's going to get it done about 7 a.m. if they'll stay to their schedule, and I talked with, with, with them last week, and we're just, I want you to just, it's one of our members, and this is a, a member that's facing something. Yeah, Crawford, where you at, boy? You get up here. And, uh, and so uh, we just, we're just believing for a really good procedure and no, no more uh, heart difficulties. So, Father, we lay our hands upon our precious brother in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our healer. And we declare recovery and healing in this heart, in these arteries, and that the procedure in the morning that you've used men that are doing your service will be gifted to go through and open up these vessels. Let him be able, Lord God, to function and do cardio, whatever he wants to do without being short of breath, and that it will be a great procedure for this man and for his family and for his life. In Jesus' name, we're believing with him for that. Amen. 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 You. you know that, that uh, Kim, and this doesn't make me nothing, but how long ago was that when I, y'all come up here and I prayed for him and that, that I saw heart. How long? I'm sure a couple years ago. So a couple years ago, they were up here for whatever reason. I don't even remember what it was about. Y'all can head on by. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I had forgotten it. Kim reminded me, and then when she told me, I remember, and she called me last week and told me this was happening. And she said, Pastor, you know you came, when we came up you know, a couple years ago, and you, you saw heart problems with him, and you started praying for his heart. And I remember that day I asked him, because I'm assuming if God's showing it to me, that, that he's got to know about. 
And then you don't want to be telling them if you don't know you know about it, you know. But, and then I, because I don't ever, I'm just trying to obey the Lord. But she reminded me this week, she said, you remember, and then when you said it, I remembered. And I remember talking to Johnny about heart, and I said, you got any heart issues or anything? And he said, no, not that I'm aware of. And I said, well, I just feel led, I'm supposed to pray over your heart and pray, you know, for your heart. And that's what I did. It don't hurt nothing to pray for your heart. <laughs> it sure don't hurt anything. And, uh, but I just believe the Lord's just kept him safe and protected him. Uh, and, uh, and actually, when he went in the other day, he wasn't going in for his heart. He was going in something else checked. And they said, well, we've got some heart issues. And uh, so uh, I'm glad they're getting it taken care of. You know, however God wants, you know, it, it will use men to do it. Okay? All right. Y'all going to be mad at me because I went past 12? All right. I just cleared out the buffet lines for you. That's all I did. All right. Love y'all. God bless you.